0: coming up next one question a lot of interviewers ask is how do you show that you are someone who's organized i bet you everyone will have a great answer for that but the difference between me and other people is i will show them so you ask me how am i organized i'm going to pull my phone out and say this is my calendar all of my bills are in red that is one specific thing i always tell people to do can you take something with you that's going to make yourself memorable
1: Welcome to the Job Talk Podcast, where we talk with people who love their jobs. Our guests open up about their challenges, surprises, and secrets to success in their industries. Through conversation, we explore their careers, past work experiences, and the education that got them to where they are now. Today's guest is Cheryl Lynn Holder Ola Muyua. Here's our Job Talk with a career and education advisor. Sherilyn, I want to start this podcast off by asking you if you have gotten used to Canadian winters.
0: (laughs) I mm, it depends on what part of Canada. So my first 12 years in Canada, I lived in Winnipeg. And honestly, I would never say it wasn't that bad, but I learned how to adapt. So now that I live in Toronto, which is significantly warmer. It's funny when people wear like the Canada goose jackets. I have never even worn my jacket from Winnipeg yet because I don't think it gets that, that cold. So maybe the answer to your question is yes, (laughs) I've gotten accustomed accustomed to it.
1: All right. So where are you from? Uh, And then maybe we'll get into how, how you came to Canada.
0: Yeah. So I'm originally from Trinidad. So I was born in, well, The politically correct is Trinidad and Tobago, but the actual island I was born on was Trinidad. And I lived there till I was 18. And my mom had this great idea for, so my mom was a single parent and she had, she has not had, she has three uh, kids, three daughters. And so she had this great idea to go do her master's degree, um, but she didn't want to leave us behind. So she actually got visas for all three of us or all four of us to come abroad and go to school. And the unspoken conversation we had or the unspoken idea we had was come go to school and go back home. And for some reason, we just never left. It turned into permanent residence that turned into citizenship. Um. So that was back in 2003, which was 20 years ago. And And all three of us, all four of us, sorry. Well, all three of us kids who are no longer kids But all four of us, we never left.
1: Aside from the weather, was there much of a culture shock coming to Canada?
0: Oh, Oh, yes. Huge, huge. Um, So when I first moved to Winnipeg in 2003, I had to do a year of high school at 19. uh, Or at 18, I had to do a year of high school and graduated at 19. And the reason is because the Canadian system and the Trinidadian system was a little different. So they couldn't quite figure out where to put me as far as... I didn't have all the credits to get into university yet, but I kind of had more than I needed for high school. So they said, you know what? Just do grade twelve; you'll be fine. Um, So my experience of grade twelve, which probably is like the equivalent of what we call form six in in Trinidad, was so different. For one thing, they don't wear uniforms, or that school didn't wear uniform, and for me that was a big deal because I come from a very English type military type um, school background back in Trinidad. So we wore uniforms. We couldn't wear nail polish. We had to have our hair a certain way. Our shoes had to be clean. Like we would get sent home if our shoes were dirty. And then I come to Canada and my grade 12 experience is people are wearing short shorts and crop tops (laughs) and talking back to teachers, which to me was so not a thing. So there was that shock, but also the shock of, being around being around people who spoke like i saw on tv was so strange to me so hearing these canadian accents which at the time i would say american accents now i know it's not the same Um, but hearing all these canadian accents was very different even being a lot of around a lot of people who didn't look like me so i was one of the few blacks that went to my high school at the time myself my two younger sisters and then three months later there was this huge Uh, influx of Ethiopian immigrants or Ethiopian refugees that came in and all of a sudden there were all of these refugees at my high school that looked like me and that became my group of friends who were from Ethiopia just because they were Black students as well. So but even so Ethiopia and Trinidad are two very different countries so even getting accustomed to their way of life and their friendships were was a culture shock in itself And also I found that, to be very honest, people ask some very stupid questions. Like, did I drive or did I fly to Canada? I remember one student (laughs) asked me that and she was serious. And I thought, through the ocean? What are you talking about? You know, so I found that that was strange. I remember at the time, Sean Paul was a big deal in Canada, which back in Trinidad, okay, yeah, we knew who Sean Paul was, like the singer. But like, it was like, You know, Caribbean music was kind of getting into here and people would ask me questions like, could I dance like the girls in the videos and stupid questions. (laughs) So Things like that were so weird for me having to, you know, as an 18 year old, first of all, I'm one of the oldest in the school because a lot of 18 year olds had already graduated. But even as an 18 year old with a different accent and answering questions, people asking me about my hair, people asking me about, you know, saying things like your English is so great surprise Trinidad only speaks English yeah you know things like that I really had to get accustomed to that so I think it took me one thing my mom still talks about is it took me about a year or two to really get my footing in Winnipeg I think if I had moved to maybe Toronto it might have been a little different because there are a lot yeah. more Caribbean people here but in Winnipeg it definitely was It was a transition. It was a transition.
1: Let's talk about your post-secondary experience. You graduated from high school. What did you take and what did you want to be?
0: So the what I wanted to be changed a lot. So growing up back in Trinidad, so I always loved to travel. I didn't travel a lot, but I always liked the idea of traveling. We went to, we moved in quotations to New York when I was four years old. My mom will be okay with me saying this. I think with the intention of being illegal in the U S and being one of those people. And then six (laughs) months later, she decided, we decided to go back to Trinidad. Um, And that was when I was four. And then besides that, I probably went back to New York, maybe one more time uh, in my single digits. And then as a teenager, I got to go to Guyana and St. Kitts, but I always loved the idea of being a traveler. And so when we would go to the airport, so I had an uncle actually who, he was a United Airlines pilot. And so he used to, my grandmother got to fly on his account. And so we would drop her off at the airport. And I would always marvel when I would see the flight attendants walking through the airport in their heels. And I always said I wanted to be a flight attendant. And then that turned into wanting to be a pilot. So this was my childhood dreams. But then fast forward, when I came to Canada and reality hits a little more that flight attendants don't really make great money, um, I thought that I wanted to be a business owner. So a lot of people always told me I always had that business type, um, sk- those business skills because my dad actually is a business owner. He, he owns a recording studio back in Trinidad, which actually did very well over the years. And I always just automatically had that entrepreneurship kind of feel, or even in school, sometimes I would buy earrings on eBay and try to sell it for a couple extra dollars. And so my plan going into university, so I went to the university of Manitoba was to do business management. And I thought that doing business management courses would mean that I would be taught how to start a business and how to run a business. But I think my first year of university I was taught about more business theory, which I found so boring. So like the the definition of words and the structure of a business, which I really couldn't relate to. So that turned into me looking at, okay, what other things can I do? I knew I'm a, pe- a people person, um, but I didn't really have words for what I wanted. Keep in mind too, I was also thinking with a third world Trinidadian brain where I didn't know about things like employment counseling and all that just yet. I just knew working with people would be great. So tried business management or the business school at the time, didn't like it or the business department didn't like it. And I remember a friend of mine mentioned Oh, there are these courses. So we had what we call bird courses, which are the so-called easy courses at university. And a friend of mine said, oh, I'm doing this course. It's in this uh, department called Women and Gender Studies. I had never heard about that department before. And, you know, it's so easy. Like, if you want to get your GPA up, you should try it. I said, oh, well, this is great. What I'll do is I'll do a couple women's studies courses while I figure out the real job I want to do. So I took women's studies, did really well in it, um, and continued it. So every every semester would just take some women's studies courses. And while I'm doing that, I would take the time to kind of figure out, okay, what do I want to do? Do some volunteering on this side. I did quite a bit of volunteering. Plus I was working just because I needed some extra money. I did not know at the time that when you do your degree, On your degree does not say, or at least at my school, and even at U of T, on your degree does not even say your major and your minor. It doesn't. No, it says Bachelor of Arts. Okay. And that's it. And so I'm thinking, oh, my degree is going to say Women and Gender Studies coming from a Caribbean background. I'm going to have to explain to everybody why it says that, you know, because that's not for in Caribbean culture. If you are not a doctor, a lawyer, a scientist, an engineer, your life is done. So here's here's me going to do women and gender studies and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to explain to the world why I'm doing women and gender studies. I mean, and I'm making it sound like I'm going to be showing everyone my degree. Of course not, right? But that's, uh, that's what it was. And then, yeah. And then, so I did a couple more family social sciences courses and I graduated. And so I was at a point in my life where I thought, okay, I have a degree. What do I do? And I literally opened up LinkedIn. Keep in mind too, my entire four years of university, I also worked the entire time. So my resume was full. And I opened up um, the computer on, on Indeed and I just hit search. I left it blank and I just hit search. And I was just searching through jobs, searching through jobs. Now, also at the time, a lot of my experience was in hospitality. So I worked for the Marriott. I worked for... In Manitoba, there's a hotel called Victoria Inn. I worked there for a couple of years. I worked for Super 8 and I worked for the Holiday Inn. So I was thinking, you know what? Maybe hospitality is for me. It's a people person um, type job. I'll enjoy it. I like it. Maybe I could see myself as a manager because, you know, business owner, manager, they go together. Maybe I could be a hotel manager. You never know. So I kept... Um, I kept that to the side, even though I felt like I was trying to encourage myself to stay in hospitality, but then I also had the idea that, you know what, I don't know if I really want to stay in hospitality. So looking on Indeed, just searching, searching, and I see this position come show up that says marketing specialist with a company called Newcomers Employment and Education Development Services. I open it up and it says... The position says something like they're looking for someone to assist immigrants or immigrant youth with finding jobs and with, um, with employment education. And I thought, this sounds amazing. I'm an immigrant. This is perfect. I would love this. Hospitality doesn't pay great. That doesn't pay great either, but it paid more than hospitality this is great. And you need a degree done. I'm good.
1: Nice. So is that what brought you to Toronto then was that position in Winnipeg?
0: No, that position was in Winnipeg. Okay. So I started that position in Winnipeg. I did it for two years within my two years. And so remember I kind of have that entrepreneurship slash managerial brain. So in my two years, as a frontline worker, which was amazing, it was an amazing place, it still exists, it's a lot bigger than when I, um, when I used to work there. In my two years of being what was called a marketing specialist, which was essentially an employment counselor, um, I started to get bored, to be honest. I really started to get bored because I liked what I was doing, but it was just the exact same thing over and over. And I started to toy with the idea of I could run this kind of program. And so from there, after about the two year mark, I said, you know what, I'm going to see what else is out there. And I found a position again, didn't really have the skills for it and the skills as in like what it says I should have. But I, I said I could convince them that I can bring my skills from what I do and do it there. So I found this position where it said um, it was a coordinator for 10 employment agencies and they were all aboriginal employment agencies in Manitoba. And I said, Oh, I could so do that. Yeah. Not a problem. And somehow in my application, again, I put, um, somehow in my application again, I showed them how the skills that I had, I could take it into a managerial type, um, position. Yeah. And I got an interview and I ended up getting that job. So I did that job for about a year and some change. It was amazing. I got to drive all over Manitoba. Manitoba is huge. So I got to go as far as even Thompson, which was eight hours away from Winnipeg, north. And it's so far up north that I went in June. I remember I went in June one time. And June, is warm. So I'm like in a little sundress. I have like my sandals, my flip flops. I have my suitcase with all my sundress stuff. I pull up to Thompson and it is snowing. in June. <laughs> And I'm how, like, where am I?
1: How far north do you have to drive from Winnipeg to see polar bears?
0: Oh, that's quite a bit. So that would be... Uh, Churchill. Churchill. I'm
1: Churchill, yes.
0: Churchill, yeah. And Churchill is quite a bit up north. I want to say you fly to Churchill. Because I didn't even go as far as one of our other locations, which was in Flon, I believe. And for Flon, you had to fly there. Especially in the summertime, because a lot of a lot of the ways to get there are over the lakes, and in the winter time you can drive over it because it's frozen. But in the summertime, there aren't a lot of paved highways to get there. Yeah, the Churchill was quite a ways up. Yeah, quite a ways up. And so, yeah, that's what I did. I did that for about um, two years. Again,
1: so you obviously wanted to go to the big city because you chose again. Canada's biggest city. Again. So you. You arrive in Toronto. Uh, did you line Did you line up a job prior to getting Toronto, or did you just go to Toronto? I,
0: yeah. yeah. Now I did not. So Toronto is kind of like New York, where where everyone says they live they live in New York, but the reality is they probably live in Brooklyn or New Jersey. Toronto is the same way. So even though I was going to so called Toronto, I actually ended up in Mount Forest, Ontario, which is even smaller than Winnipeg, yeah. but they hired me straight from Winnipeg and it's a place where it's about an hour north of Kitchener, Ontario, for people who know Ontario. And it's a lot of horses and (laughs) buggies and Amish. And so I went from Winnipeg to this place, but it was close enough to Toronto that I said, okay, I could get my foot in there. So I got there three months. I did a three month placement there at one organization as an employment counselor. Yeah. And then from there then I got hired in Brampton and then from Brampton I went to Oshawa and then from Oshawa I went to Toronto. Yeah.
1: Okay. So your career as a career and academic advisor, it's mm-hmm. so interesting to me because that's a great career. But uh, and I want to talk to you about some of your day-to-day and what what you love about it. Mm-hmm. But also I wouldn't mind giving our listeners some tips on like resume and and Definitely. job searching. But I I guess I would just start with what what do you love about being a career and academic advisor?
0: So the position that I have right now as career academic advisor, I am working solely with students pretty much. And what I really love about it is even though my position says it's frontline, meaning it's supposed to be only, only advising, it's not. I do do quite a bit of program management in it. So on one hand that I really really love is the demographic of the students I work with. I think the 18 to 22s are the best group of people that you could work with in general. And this is coming from someone who worked with the 15 to 18s and the over 22s. And the reason is because they are very honest, which I appreciate. So they're the ones who say I can't do this, this is horrible, I'm over this because I I like that they are open and honest with me about the fact that you're frustrated because it gives me a clean slate to work with, as opposed to coming to me and saying, oh, I have it all put together. Never have I had a student do that. Um, so the actual academic and career advising side of it, they do go hand in hand. Academic, meaning I do have to know about the way that the school that I work for, the way that the academics work. So like what credits you need to graduate, what credits, what credits, what courses, what courses, what courses you can't do together, things like that. But also there's the part of what education are you doing in order to get into your career? And the irony about it is education is great. Your degree is great. But the reality is an employer is not usually going to ask you what GPA did you have? An employer is going to ask what experience do you have? And so that even shows in my in my story where I was able to get a job pretty quickly out of university. And that was because, yes, I had the check mark of having a degree, but my employer was really set on the fact that I had four years of work experience. And so I have a lot of students who, when they come to me, they say, but I have a 4.0. And, you know, I do so great in my classes, but they have absolutely no work experience. And so what happens is they take pride in the fact that they do so great in their courses and they do so great in their GPAs. But then when it's time to find a job, an employer is saying, yeah, but how does that show me that you can get up and go to work on time? How does that show me that you're not going to say something stupid and cause me to get sued by a client, right? So I really love having those open and honest conversations with students and coming up with plans. I especially like to grab the first-year students and come up with four-year plans so that as soon as they're graduated, yes, you have your degree. Awesome. But What is it that you need as well to be able to fill your resume, to be able to get in that career that you need, or even after your master's degree as well?
1: It's a very, it's a career where it can be very fulfilling. Do you have any stories of some success stories uh, that you've worked with and helped?
0: Yeah, definitely. So a general story that I have that quite a bit of the students that I have, have are, okay, So the first one is, so the typical, what does everyone wanna do? I wanna be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer. But a lot of law schools and a lot of med schools these days are also asking for work experience now, which actually surprises a lot of people. And so I've had uh, quite a bit of students who, when they come to me because they've been rejected from med school or rejected from law school, even though they've had their very high GPA, I was able to actually go through with them and say, okay, Let's get you a job and let's figure out a way in order to be able to get you something on your curriculum vitae or on your resume in order for you to get a job. So that's a general success story. Um, A specific one I could think of is right now I am working with a student who she really is downplaying her experience. So this student, she did not have a lot of funding to come to university. So it's very similar to me where she has been working quite a bit. But it's her self-esteem that is sabotaging her. And so what it is that's happening or has happened, because now she was able to get actually a pretty decent job. But what has happened is she would look at um she would look at jobs or she would look at at job postings and say, Oh, well, they're not gonna want me because I they're saying seven years experience, but I don't have seven X ex- years experience in that field. Or they're saying, um, you know, she's making it sound a lot better than it really is. And so what we did is we actually went through actual job posting. And I said, okay, what here does not, you cannot do. And she would say things like, oh, but there are so many people who have so much more experience than me. And there are so many people who do so much better than me. And so, Because of that, she wouldn't really apply to a lot of jobs. And the reality is, after it is that we had the conversation of actually looking at the reality of apply for the job. You have the skills. There are transferable skills. There are things that you can do. And also, one thing that an employer told me that that sticks to me to this day is, once you can prove to me that you can be a good worker, I can always train you. And that goes for any field. And so with this specific student in working with her and doing actual simple things as going through LinkedIn, looking at actual jobs, figuring out ways for her to be able to put on her resume and on her cover letters, the skills that she has, that she can take to the job, she actually got a very good job, a very, very good job. And that's something that happens a lot where a lot of the students, they are their worst critic, right? right and employers and another thing that people do a lot too that I've really had to cut down on is people would apply for one job and just cross their fingers I want this one job but the actual process of applying for a job a lot of times it's a numbers game it is it's a numbers game where the more applications you send out the more likely it is for you to get an interview you must be great sure but sure so are millions of people Right, So if it is that you're applying to just one job and you expect it to be that you think you're the best since sliced bread because of this one job that you've applied to, well, sorry to tell you, there are also thousands of other people who also applied to this job. So sometimes you just need to get the numbers out.
1: Yeah, well, reading a job posting from an employer, they're trying to sell their company in this job posting so it can be quite intimidating when you read like they're describing the perfect employee and not everyone's going to have every single item on that
0: but you know what's funny too that employers have told me more than one many times when they put together job postings they google a job posting that sounds like something they would want and that's what they use Because many times, it's not that they necessarily want someone with five to seven years experience. Many times, they're like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to put that in there. And that's how they come up with many of the postings.
1: For sure. What what are some of your biggest challenges in your day-to-day work?
0: Uh, Time management. That's the biggest one. Because kind of like what I was saying before, my job is not just advising. It's also program management. So right now, I'm managing a mentorship program. And then i also have another program that i've come up with that i'm just waiting for some uh, approvals on that where students want to go into med school law school grad school um, where they can get work experience in their field so we're still waiting for that and i also have what are called work study students where i actually supervise students who work for me and i also do Um, I also do advise a program called First Year's Learning Community, where it's pretty much a group of students who in their very first year, they're put in groups and they do the same courses and they also attend courses where they learn about how to do university life. And then I also have, um, and I am also the only employment counselor in my department for hundreds of students. So time management definitely is a big one.
1: Yeah. So is your day, uh, does it consist of a lot of meetings? Are people coming to see you? Uh, Are you on the phone a lot, I'm assuming?
0: So in 2023, it seems like the phone is a thing of a past. I can't tell you the last time I had a phone conversation. Yeah. So we have online Teams meetings. So usually what my day looks like is, so I work nine to five. So usually 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's only for the students. So students who've requested one-on-one conversations, students who need employment counseling, as well as students who need academic advising. So literally half an hour slots, uh, nonstop from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I do have from 9:30 to 10 uh, a staff meeting. And then one to two is my lunch break. And then two to five, that's when I have the programming stuff. So that's when I'll probably meet with my work study students. That's when I work on connecting with the employers who I'm trying to get to give students work experience. That's where I'm working on. So we do a version of case notes. So when we work with students, we do have to write notes. So that's when I finish off the notes and any other admin stuff that I have. That's usually. So even saying it doesn't even sound like a lot, but it's a lot. Yeah,
1: and how do you how do you stay up to date on the latest market trends?
0: I would love to say that I follow websites, but honestly, I talk to people. Yeah, I talk to companies. I'm so LinkedIn is one of the places where I have a lot of conversations with people. Sometimes I would just pick a person, send a message, and say, "Hey, how is it? How is um? I'm just interested to know." what is your hiring right now? How is it going? Um, I do read some finance, like lately I've been into Yahoo Finance and things like that to like just get employment trends. But I find that hearing from people in the field a lot of times for me holds more weight than just reading an article many times.
1: And do you advise on every industry, every job, or is it a specific field that you look at?
0: Every industry, yes and no. So for the students, I do work with arts and science. So arts and science is life sciences, like biology, chemistry. So, you know, they go into medicine and things like that. And then I do have arts. So arts can be anything from the women and gender studies to social sciences and things like that. Um, However, I do have students because the way how jobs work is just because you do a science degree does not mean that you're going to be working in a lab. You can do a science degree and become a photographer. So um, so I do, yes, I do advise on every single industry, but uh, there is a big but to that. What I do is I go by the teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime kind of analogy. And the reason is because this generation of students many times want me to tell them, what they should go into. So one question I always get is, well, what is everybody doing? Well, there's no answer to that. But what I do is I try to teach them ways to be able to research uh, ways to figure out what fields there are and what they would be interested in. So kind of like how I was talking about um, being on top of trends and not really being big on, you know, on articles and so forth, even though I, I do look at them every once in a while. I teach students ways to go do their own research, so I do know that there is like career cruising and other apps and things like that where you could answer a hundred questions and it would give you a list of jobs to go into. I'm not a fan of it, and the reason is because when I did that, it told me that I should be like a garbage collector, and like it gave me like these random things where I'm like, people, clearly you don't know me, right? So I teach students to go online go on LinkedIn, just put in words, use the search bar, see what speaks to you. That's something I say all the time. So kind of like when you're going and you're clothes shopping, you know, you want to buy an outfit for the Beyonce concert, but, and you you know, you have an idea of what you want to get, but it's not until you see that one outfit, you think, wait, that's what I was looking for. Even though you didn't know what it was, it's kind of the same thing with looking for a job or looking for a career, right? So like sometimes what you need to do is you need to, Just search up what there is. Just look at random things. And what you're going to realize is you're going to start gravitating towards certain things. So if you're a people person, you're going to realize, hmm, counseling is starting to speak to me. Or teaching is starting to speak to me. Or even um, another thing that I'm really big on is making the LinkedIn algorithm work for you. So many people do not realize how powerful of a tool LinkedIn is. And I'm not talking about the LinkedIn where you just reach out to strangers. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a huge fan of just reaching out to people in an industry and being like, but, "Hi, are you hiring?"
1: That's how we met. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are not hiring me.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> <It's different. laughs> that's the difference. Gotcha. Okay, no problem.
0: But you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, like I, I don't know if you get this, but I do get it. I do get the emails of people saying, "Oh, I have such great skills. Are you hiring?" And it's—I mean—I'm flattered. But the reality is there is so much more to LinkedIn than just connecting with people. People are putting their business on LinkedIn. Look at it. People are telling you what schools they went to, where they worked, what jobs they've done, things like that. Follow their journeys and see what you can follow. I tell people to do that all the time, yeah.
1: Are there any career fields that are a standout to you that you can see are gonna be in huge demand in the coming years?
0: Ironically, the trades.
1: I was guess skilled trades. The
0: trades, yeah. 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 You know, looking back, something that, so I have my friends, my personal friends, and we're all in, you know, our fields and, you know, things that I think our parents are proud of, right? And I'm talking about especially my Caribbean friends, right? Because one thing about being from the Caribbean is we're very big on what career my child has. So in Trinidad, we call it a big job. You have a big job. My child has a big job. But, but something we always joke about and talk about is, man, I should have started a plumbing business because as a woman who owns her own house and needs a plumber and times that my husband is away, I don't know if I just want anybody coming into my house, but if I see someone that looks like me, I probably would feel a lot more comfortable about that. That's just reality. Right. And so we joke about, you know, we could have started plumbing businesses and how much, you know, how many people would have been, would have given us business because of the fact that we are not the typical, you know, pants falling down plumber. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And so I really, I mean, granted, I am in the educational institution where not a lot of people are coming to us for trades, but just in general, when people ask me, I'm always, I always say, are you good with your hands? Because they really need, we always need mechanics. We always need plumbers. We always need, uh, we always need tradespeople, And it's one of those fields where, especially from an immigrant perspective is looked at so negatively, but the reality is there's a lot of money in those fields.
1: Oh, you could build a very nice life for yourself. If you have the skill oh, yes. traits. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a couple specific questions, maybe some tips that you can give people listening to this. Uh, what, what is your best tip for resume writing?
0: Okay. So resume writing is one of those things that people think that the employers care about all these fancy words and so forth. The thing with resumes is people do not read it word for word. If I have 500 resumes to go through, Trust me, I am not reading your resume word for word. I do not care that your template looks great. I do not care. I mean, yes, I care that your resume looks good. But honestly, you don't need a fancy template that has swirls and all sorts of stuff. All you need is a Microsoft Word document, white background, black words, size 12. That's all I need. And highlight your skills. Um, The thing with resumes is you have to be really strategic with them. As in, if it is an employer has on their job posting that they are looking for someone who can work with Java, who can work on their own, who can, um, who is independent or has specific skills, trust and believe that's what my resume is going to highlight. I am not going to put the effort into the template and how pretty my resume is. I'm going to put the, temp- the effort into making sure that my skills are shown that's my biggest thing. And it's also a pet peeve of mine. Some of the resumes that are coming out now, you know, they look more like storyboards, which is great, but sometimes it's like, you really don't need all these bells and whistles.
1: So font size 12, not 11, not 11. definitely not 11.
0: Preferably not 11. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: That's the only thing. You'd be
0: surprised gonna... the difference.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. And one specific question to an interview, how, what's your greatest tip for somebody to stand out in an interview?
0: So that's a really good question. And you actually use the word stand out because that's something that I always talk about. So think of an interview, like, so, you know, the food network always, well, I don't know if they do anymore, but back in the day, they used to have all these food competition shows. So like greatest cookie or greatest ribs or whatever. And so, a lot of times when people go into these competitions, so think of that, think of it as the people going into this competition are the people who are going into the interview. And at home, they have the greatest cookie recipe. Like everybody talks about their cookie recipe, but they have to convince these judges that theirs are the best. And so, you have like, I don't know, 50 contestants. And then, when the 50 contestants go in, the judges are trying it, and it's good. And then, by the time they get to number five, number five, accidentally put salt instead of sugar so the judges are like oh yeah we know we don't want number five and then they get to like number 12 and number 12 is like I don't know they use salted caramel so they're like oh number 12 is the best one but then they reach a number 15 and number 15 has something else that that is really good and then by the time they get to number 25 they're like oh my gosh I just remember number five was terrible but everything tastes the same interviews are exactly like that so the way that people usually stand out in interviews are if you do something that really is going to make yourself memorable. So again back to the cookie analogy, maybe the cookies were presented in a table in a in a basket that one of the judges remembered that their grandmother had on their mantle that was very sentimental to them. Was it the best cookie? Probably not. It was good, but it was memorable. So when people go into interviews, I usually say, what can you take into an interview that's different from the usual going in with your elevator speech? It's been done. Going in with, you know, you dress well. Okay, we know, right? These days, the interview talk, we know it. We know it. Dress well, dress professional, elevator speech, speak well, blah, 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 blah. But one question a lot of interviewers ask is, how do you show that you are someone who's organized? I bet you everyone will have a great answer for that but the difference between me and other people is I will show them. So you ask me, how am I organized? I'm going to pull my phone out and say, this is my calendar. All of my bills are in red. All of the train schedules are in green. All the bills that I, you know, like something like that, right? And I actually show them. If anything, they are definitely going to remember that over all the people who give the great answers. That is one specific thing I always tell people to do. Can you take something with you that's going to make yourself memorable?
1: How about nervously knocking over a cup of coffee on their desk?
0: Funny story. Funny story. As you mentioned that. So I had a really good friend. Had a really good friend because we're still friends. What am I saying? So this was like some like 10 years ago. She was pregnant. She got an interview for this job. Amazing job. Amazing, amazing job. So she thought, you know what? I don't care. I just found out I'm pregnant, but I want this job. So she goes into the interview, presented, ready to go. Interview goes really well. They get to the last question. She says, I'm sorry, just give me one second. Pulls the garbage bin, throws up in the garbage bin. What? In the interview. She got the job. (laughs) The reason she got the job is because they remembered her. And it was for a very well-known or a company. It was, it was Scotiabank. Right. So, and she, she works in there. And so it was funny how to this day she tells me the story of that's how they remembered me because they had all these great candidates. Now I'm not saying go knock over coffee or go throw up in the office. That's right. But I'm saying memories actually do hold weight. Yeah.
1: We do want to throw up a disclaimer. We're not telling people to vomit in a job interview or, it, it worked for for her. Just make it memorable.
0: The um, point is memories. The yes, point, that's the point. Yeah, that's but right. No, but going back to then, show them show them on your phone how organized you are. Yeah, something that is actually something that you actually do, as opposed to just talking about it like other people talk about.
1: Yeah. What are your thoughts around AI and what industry should be nervous about the development of AI?
0: Every industry. Yeah. But I'm not worried about it. No? more. Mojo- yeah, because it's one of those things where, see, I'm one of those people who I go against the, the grain, right? So I'm pretty sure Beyonce is not going to listen to this podcast. But I'm not a Beyonce fan. And the reason I'm not a Beyonce fan is because every Black girl is a Beyonce fan. So I'm like, you know what? All of y'all, I'm not going to follow you guys. Right? So kind of like... But if Beyonce does listen, sorry, Beyonce, I love you. Um, But that being said, if it is, my thing is things will always change. Technology will always happen. So going back to my days, back when I was in Trinidad, I do remember hearing conversations about um, things like, okay, so back when I was a child, because in the Caribbean, now a little different because of technology, but in the Caribbean back then, all of the things that here we take for granted back then, it took us a very long time to get to. I remember that the cash the the cashier at the supermarket back then. So see how we go to the supermarket and you just um, swipe and it goes beep, beep. It took a long time for us to get that. It wasn't even, it was like a thing that we heard of, but we're like, ah, we're good. We want to do the, you know, and so the cashier used to actually put in each thing one by one. And it was such a big deal to have this skill that it actually is, it, it was a class. We had classes at school that were like typing classes and classes on how to, to, to punch buttons quickly. That was actually a course in school. And the thing about it is now going back, that doesn't exist anymore, right? Things evolve. Now, am I worried about my job? No, because if it is that AI takes over my job, something else will be invented as well that I can also do, right? Or that probably will be greater, or maybe they need a manager to manage these AIs, or need, maybe they need someone to overlook that, then I will take that. I say embrace it, embrace the technology. So the same way how back in the day, planes flying in the sky was not a thing, right? I'm sure there are people in boats who are like, oh, well, I love my little boat. Why is it that you guys wanna be flying in planes? Boats are great, right? And now flying is like the thing, we embrace it and we move on. So it's not something that I'm really scared of, right? The more AI comes, the more jobs will come for that, right? Or the more things will evolve.
1: Yeah, I'm always very polite when I request something from chat GPT because one day they will (laughs) be our overlords. Um, (laughs) What has, are you surprised that you ended up making your life in Canada?
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, because I think in my head as a child, I always thought that, and even coming here, I always thought my place would always be in Trinidad, at least in the Caribbean, but for sure in Trinidad. Um, And also to add to that, I'm surprised at the success that I had when I was here, because to be very open and honest, being a black immigrant who speaks differently or I feel like my accent is a little more tainted now, but being a black immigrant, you definitely have to push quite a bit harder when it comes to when it comes to to breaking boundaries and there were many times that I actually there was one time that I decided that I'm going home I went home for three months and then I turned around and I came back. And so, you know, it's one of those things where looking back at it, I don't have the desire anymore to go back. But also looking back at it, I do look back and say, how did I get through some of the things that I dealt with? I have no idea. Yeah.
1: What does your future look like? What are you working towards?
0: So, you know, ironically, one thing that I talk to my students about all the time is I too, am in my career journey. I'm not quite there. So right now I'm 38. And, you know, I'm at that point of life where I have the family, I have, you know, I'm in a place in a company that I love, I love where I work, but I am in the process of really trying to get to the director role. So that goes back to what I was talking about before about having that itch where I'm like, you know, I kind of want to get into that managerial type thing. I have been a manager for the past four or five years. I was a manager before this role and I enjoyed it. I mean, it has ups and downs, um, but I've decided that I'm working towards a director role. Is that director role in the department I work in right now? In a perfect role, I would love it to be. I don't know, but that is where, that's my goal for the next two, three years to get to the director role.
1: Is there anything I didn't ask you that you would love for your students or anyone that took the time to listen to this topic that you would want them to know?
0: You might think you have it figured out. Just wait. Or if you don't have it figured out, if you're not in a place where, you know what, I know I exactly want to be a nuclear biologist with NASA by 2036. If you're not in that boat, you are fine. That's the first one. But you know what's the second one? Stop listening to people. I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, how many of my students come to me and say, oh, well, I heard you need to have a a 4.0 in order to be able to become a pilot for Emirates or I don't know, something like that, right? Like I always hear, I heard, okay, well, where did you hear this? Well, people have been saying, okay, who are these people? Right, A lot of times, this is things we make up in our heads, or these are conversations we have where we have heard it nowhere, right? So if it is that you are in a place in your life, especially as a student, first year, second year, third year, fourth year student, where you feel like, I just don't know where I am going, you are in the same boat as millions of other people and you will be okay. I get that all the time. time. Excellent
1: advice. Well, Cheryl Lynn, you are a very positive person. Um, I wish you the best of luck with all your plans. And, you know, thank you for taking the time to, to come on the podcast today. Appreciate
0: thank it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it too, being able to tell my story and, and give advice. And I'm very excited for my students to hear this. Very excited. Thank you for tuning in
1: to the Job Talk podcast. For more information, please visit us at thejobtalk.com. Our podcast music was created by our friend Mike Malone in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.